This is Michael Losflink. Welcome to O Radio, where we explore the individual and social transformation through collaborative action. I'm a psychotherapist with a transpersonal and somatic specialization. I'm also a transpartisan social entrepreneur and head instructor at SealFit's Unbeatable Mind Academy and executive coach at Spartan 7, as well as director of human resilience at Aperion Zoo. Today's show is brought to you by Somatic Psychotherapy Today, an online resource for all topics related to body-oriented psychology. Today's guest is Maretta Holm-Bronborg, who is a psychomotor trainer and co-creator of Body Dynamic Analysis, a somatic psychotherapy tradition developed in Denmark. She named her current approach relational trauma therapy, combining psychomotor skill training and systems-oriented work with the goal of establishing systems in which mutual regulation of what has been held in disassociate, disassociation can happen. Maretta leads body psychology training and workshops in Scandinavia, London, Holland, and Canada, and maintains a private practice for therapy and supervision in Copenhagen. Hello, Maretta. Hello, Michael. Good to see you. Yeah. So let's, uh, before we get into your, what I would consider one of the most interesting uh, maps and models of, of human, human uh, dynamics and stress response, Tell us a little about yourself, how you got into psychology in general and body psychology in particular, and created or helped design and create biodynamic analysis. Like, like for many other therapists, and especially founders, we all have our personal reasons. Else you just don't have energy enough to keep going, I think. And that, that goes for me too. So I started very young in this... I started as a psychomotor student when I was 20 years old. Um, it's a psychomotor training in Denmark. It took three and a half years. It was a very practical training. I learned about muscles. I learned about touch. I learned about body exercises. And I learned this very, very useful model of differentiating between hyper and hypo response in, in the muscle system. Understanding that whatever defensive patterns we have, have two sides, we both tense up, which is broadly known. We all know about tensions. We tense up in our shoulders. What is much less known is that simultaneously, we give up elsewhere in the body. For example, tension in your shoulders very often go together with that you in some way lose contact with your center or your feet or something like that. Right? I was presented with this way of thinking early on. I was 20 to 23 when I, when I went to that school. And I started out as a practitioner with groups and individual sessions from 23 years and on. And very early on, I discovered two things that working with the muscle system takes us into a huge potential. There's a lot of potential skills, uh, psychomotor skills represented in the muscle system. You can gain, you can access your centering, your grounding, your boundaries, your orientation, your your capacity to, uh, to regulate contact, all kinds of really basic coping skills are connected to our muscular system. 
And it, it really turned me on. It helped me. I, I uh, experienced myself how much more lively I became. I gained access to aspects of myself that I had lost, that I even didn't know I had lost, but I discovered it by doing all this muscular work. Can you give examples of some of the thing, some of the aspects of yourself that you'd even know existed, but you gained contact with through the work that you were doing? Yeah, this, this goes into, you could say, the, the next step, which is what I didn't know back then. I didn't know back then that I had dissociated trauma in my own history. Uh, but so when you have that, what happens when you do all this, this uh, psychomotor training? Well, what happened, happened for me, for example, was that I got much more uh, liveliness into my center, into my pelvis, into my whole pleasure. I experienced a pleasure, not only sexual, but in general, just, just being more happy in a way, right? Um, and I discovered that, oh, I hadn't really realized that about myself, that I had lost some of my cap capacity to be happy and to feel pleasure. But I learned that through regaining the skills to get a better container for my energy, you could say, because that's what working with the muscles does. It provides, if you get energy enough into the muscle system, you have a really good container for your life energy. So you can manage it so it's not dangerous for you. Were there particular moments where you had breakthroughs or was it a process that occurred over time where the insights kind of arose it's into good, creating this system? Yeah, that's a good, uh, if, if I go back to my, as a student back then, I had many breakthroughs. Uh, I could be in a, in a session, a two hour movement session we did a lot of free movement and exercises and I came out with just a lot of energy. I was a very energetic student. I did it all. I did it with lots of energy. What I so, so I came out and had a lot of life and then something happened that I hadn't foreseen and that I didn't really get help with, which was that then it disappeared again. I lost it again. And that experience, that personal experience of mine has been a, a really defining uh, factor of how I have developed my own work. Because of course it was very frustrating. But I was, you could say, uh, resourced enough to also uh, be very curious. What is this? What mechanism is it uh, that is at work here? How come that you can gain your resources by doing body work, but then you lose it again. How do we lose it? And then what I have got, gotten to know over the, the last many years working is that this is actually a very normal experience. When I ask into all the groups I teach, do you know this experience that you gain something, you go to a workshop or you sit and meditate or whatever you do, you gain resources, but then you lose them again. And you don't know how it happens. And people's hands just come up. Yeah. We, we call that the Monday morning phenomena. Yeah. When you go back to your regular life and all the insights and yeah. ahas kind of dissipate. They dissipate. But how do they do that? That's, hmm. you could say, that's where I'm a little nerdy. Because I'm really, really curious about that mechanism. Hmm. 
because understanding it then makes it possible to to train in a different way where you respect the dosage that your system can actually integrate. Okay. And that's where this focus on hypo response on the giving up mechanism came. Okay. Because in my understanding, that is what makes us lose it. It's uh, if, you, if you train a lot, you know, yeah. you can bypass the weakest parts of you, right? But then when you uh, stop doing all these things and just want to be with what you learned, you can't because you can't contain it. So one way of, uh, let me ask you, this is correct yeah. a way of thinking about it. So the way you, d you describe it in your work is that the hypo or hi and, and hyper, they're, they're, it's not binary because some people can have multiple different kind of responses from the yes. same situation is a defense mechanism that we learn most likely really early on to deal with threats or perceived threats from our environment. Is that one way? Is that an accurate way of, of discussing? Uh, yes. Yes. And uh, I'll add something. Please do. Because it's not, you could say threat comes in many levels and the mechanisms in the muscle system, they are not only dealing with high stress situations. They are dealing with daily life. So we have patterns from our childhood, all of us, from our, throughout our lives, where we have just normal coping mechanisms, normal uh, personality defense patterns that are layered in the muscles, where we tend to, for example, some people tend to uh, not say stop directly, right? They, they forget about boundaries. Uh, it's not a disaster. It's just a kind of a personal style. It's a personality pattern, right? Or you can have the opposite where you are feisty. You, you, you fight for your boundaries all the time. Then some of your boundaries muscles will be tense. Right? So we have these personality patterns, but then when we get stressed, they get a more severe consequence because then there are skills that would be really, really useful for us when in stress that are not available for us. And then the patterns tend to go deeper. So if you have kind of this, this pattern of not really sensing your boundaries, letting your toes be stepped upon as a, as a general personality strategy, then what happens when you get under more pressure? then your boundaries really collapse because you don't have the energy in your muscle system to, to uh, go up against the pressure. So when you, when there's high intensity and the high intensity, what, and what I find fascinating from your work is there's no universal high intensity. It's, it's really your relationship to an external event that, that triggers your reaction to a high, what you would, perceive as a high intensity event or someone else might not see it as a high intensity. That's right. Event. Okay. Yeah. That's so, this whole, yeah. that's this whole thing with what is stress, what is trauma. And yeah. you can look at that from the outside or the inside. You can make lists of what, what is especially stressful. 
And of course, that gives us some ideas about uh, types of threat, but mm -hmm. it doesn't really tell you um, the capacity in the person. Right. And we are very, very different. Exactly. And those differences are, amongst other things, represented in our in the capacity that the body has. Where a person with a very uh, filled out physical body and a lot of presence bodily can match more stress from the outside. Okay. A person with, with uh, quite a lot of hypo response, quite a lot of low energy in the muscle system is much more vulnerable to stress because you can't match what's coming from the outside, you yield. And with that, you're much uh, faster pushed into collapse. Okay, so from what I'm, what I'm hearing you say then that there's a general personality um, approach that people, people develop for various reasons. Yeah. And I imagine it's, it starts in utero, it's not just, you know. Yeah, it's, from, it's all the way up. It's from uterus and up different developmental stages, different existential themes that matter in different age levels. So we, we all get this mix of available resources and mm -hmm. some of them we, we forget or never learn because they weren't present in our family, etc. So we have a personality pattern um, that allows us to at some level deal with life. But yeah. when there's a high intensity situation, high intensity for us as an individual, not necessarily yeah. globally. Um, what you call the survival intelligence kicks in, mm -hmm. which would seem to me like an amplification of your personality, but it goes from more responsive to reactive and out of your kind of conscious control. Is that an accurate way of, of discussing it? Uh, uh, or how might you say it differently? Close by and uh, I would see it a little more complex. Okay, please. Uh, and because which, as, as soon as we go into a really uh, potent uh, impact, then we shift from, from managing from personality level and then we shift into survival intelligence. Okay. Survival intelligence is many, potentially many reactions. You can have anything from fight to flight to protection reflex to revulsion reflex to uh, um, attachment cry. Mm. You can call for help. Uh, you can. You have a list of them that are active, very purposeful survival reactions, and then you have some that are more radical if the active ones don't uh, uh, solve the situation for us, then what do we do? Well, then we, we move on to something that's more potent. And that's where you meet what's called collapse, yeah. it's called hypoarousal, which is a very general shutdown in the body. In a way you go into hibernation, but you can also go into disorganization you can go into chaos, right? So you have these, these degrees in your survival system. And what is it that decides which of these reactions we go into? 
Well, that has both to do with what you bring into the situation yourself. That's what you said before. We have our patterns already and they impact what we have available when mm -hmm. we are threatened. But it also, it's also decided by the situation. Okay. What at all is possible in this situation? And that means that sometimes you get a, you get a kind of a, a difference between the personality patterns and how you respond. Okay. You can, you can for example, you can have a, a kind of a, a, a very shy or withdrawn, not very extrovert personality, and then you suddenly end up in a situation where you become the hero because you do the right thing at the right time. And, and then you have a real difficulty with landing that one in your personality because you don't have a personality that, that backs up being a hero. Or you can get the opposite, that you are very kind of, you have a feisty, maybe it's a, if we talk traditional male role, that you're kind of, you, you are identified with being the strong one. You're used to being dominant. And then you get into a, a, a trauma situation where you get attacked. Uh, seriously attacked and where the only um, functional survival reaction is to go to collapse or death or not die but go dead mm -hmm. now that's a very very challenging um, difference mm -hmm. do you get so that's my add to what you brought in so we can both have a built on that personality traits just get bigger yep. in trauma and stress. So we get double up of the same, or Does we can get yep. these differences that are very yep. challenging identity-wise after trauma. So one, one possible way to react is, is amplified, your personality is amplified. Yes. And what I hear you saying, there's other possible, and, and maybe they're both is, you know, integrated together at some point, is that you have the opposite of your personality, which is then yep is a challenge to your identity because you've lived and you've been identified internally and externally as a certain type of person. Yes. The challenge challenges you to, and you have to step out into the opposite, but you don't have the resources to integrate the opposite necessarily exactly. when you're back into your normal personality. Exactly. Is that okay? Yes. Got it. Can you contextualize uh, hypo and hyper with parasympathetic and sympathetic and break down the parasympathetic and the two different um, uh, aspects of it? Yeah, I can. I can. Um, if we talk nervous system, when I spoke about the survival reactions before, then there, the active survival reactions, they are all hyper-arousal. You're in hyper-arousal when you, when you want to flee, when you want to fight, when you want to call for help, uh, when you protect somebody, etc. That's all hyper arousal. And it's a reaction in your autonomic nervous system. There's adrenaline in it, right? It's outgoing impulses. That's hyper arousal. Then you have hypo arousal, which is the collapse reaction. The hibernation, basically you get ready to die. Or you prepare your body for that death could happen. You stop uh, fighting, you stop any kind of active reaction, which can be a totally genius way of surviving. Mm 
So it's not clear. That's that's on yeah. the that's on the autonomic nervous system level, right. where you have these two extremes. Extreme. So the the hyper is sympathetic is hypersympathetic activation, that's and right. the hypo is an aspect of parasympathetic yes. activation. Yes. Not the rest and digest, but the collapse and, and exactly play dead. Okay. Yeah. But what's fascinating, many things are fascinating about your work, but what, what I, one piece that's really fascinating to me is that you can actually have hyper and hypo reactions when you're at the survival intelligence. Can you speak to how one individual can have different types of those kind of responses inside themselves at the same time? At the same time? Yeah. Well, if you, well, it's, it's always a little tricky with what kind of examples you give <laughs> yeah. about trauma. Yeah. But if, if you think of a situation where you, if I don't take one of the extreme ones, but, but you're, uh, you're hiking somewhere, uh, you fall and you hurt some part of your body. Maybe you hurt your arm, your shoulder, maybe you break a bone. You can still you can still walk, you can still get yourself back, but you are, you are really injured in some part of your body. Now in that situation, you, the sympathetic nervous system is active in still uh, bringing you back and walking and, and, and fighting to survive and, right? But the part that is injured will go into numbness which is very wise. The natural, um, the opioid system, your physiology will just anesthetize it. So you don't feel the pain. That's a really, really smart mechanism. That, that's one example of having the, the two of them at the same time in the nervous system. Right. And that's a great example of why that might happen. But think, uh, can you give us an example, like psychologically, in terms of not a physical trauma from an injury, but yeah. you know, sexual, emotional, yeah. mental yeah. abuse, and how parts yeah. of the person can hyper response by the tension, and the other parts can disappear through yes. the hypo response. Yes, and see that that's where you shifted yourself. Now you shifted from the arousal level to the hyper to the to the muscle response level. And that's where the, that's where I also, I'm excited myself about that difference. Because if you look at it, the muscle system um, can be in both states, different parts of the muscle system can be either tense or given up while you are in, for example, fight or flight. Right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you could be in a situation where you are, you're being hit, you're being beaten up, you're, you're being attacked. And uh, one version could be you're still active, you're still fighting, but parts of your body will go into hypo response. So part of you, for example, many, many times when I work with, with people who have been in assaults or rape or whatever, 
even when they are in contact with their, with their fight impulses. For example, their, their capacity to feel their center or their pelvic floor or feel um, kind of support in their back or feel their arms and hands or can be gone. And, and I, that's where I think it really matters how we work with these trauma patterns. Because if we think mostly in a more traditional thinking is that the problem is that we are stuck in high arousal and we need to release it. And we need to release the tension so that we can relax again, so that we can come down into calm and rest, right? That's a very, it's a very, very normal thinking. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't take into account that, that there is the other side at the same time. There are parts of the body that have gone distant and that we don't access by intending relaxation. On the contrary, they get more lost. Right? And, and that is, I, I could bring in just a, a piece more of how I got to work this way. Please do, that'd because be great. You could say that's the, uh, the painful part of, of the, there's always some kind of painful process, I think, behind um, developing something new because it's missing. Something was missing also in my own trauma work. I went through all the, the more traditional SE work and the kind of trauma work we developed in, in biodynamic analysis, which, which mo most of it worked in relatively high, um, high charge. Mm -hmm. And it worked from this thinking that if you could release the flight impulse, if you kept, could get, get the body out of freeze and into running in one way or the other, then you would land, then you would settle again, and then you could process. And for one part of me that worked, I was a, a good student, I was a good client, right? And I became a good therapist and something was missing because I still, in my own experience, I still had this collapse that I could fall into. And it became shameful because it didn't fit the model. It didn't fit what was supposed to happen with me. And I saw that in several other, I saw it in people I worked with that for some of them, this, this potent uh, um, method of trying to release the, the fear, it, uh, it just didn't work. Or it only worked for part of the person. And that's where then when I, uh, at some point I left uh, the biodynamic field and I went on my own, and that's where I started more very focused to, to, to develop 
how do we work with the given up parts? What is it that works here? Because it doesn't work to think release. It just doesn't work. You need to do the opposite. You need to build up energy. And you, if we talk about the hypo response that, is, uh, that, is relate, that relates to trauma, you need to be able to dose really low to gain access again to parts of your body that have gone very absent. You don't get to them by doing something big. You know, you may get to them by doing something really, really small and really, really gentle. And does that fit back to what you're saying at the very beginning, where if you, if you did something big, you might have immediate access to, to uh, that lost part but it's not sustainable. Yes. And that's why Monday morning or whatever yes. analogy you want to use, it, it goes away yeah. as, as a, it. yeah, okay. As a resource. You get it. Okay. You can kind of, uh, pump energy into, yeah. uh, into your body, but you can't sustain it. Yeah. Yeah. Because the trouble for these areas of the body that are in hypo response is that they lost the capacity for containment. Right. So what I'd like you to do, I have a question, but then I'd like you to, uh, after answering the question, if you could talk about how someone as a, you know, therapeutically would work with someone in the hypo response yeah. to help them develop the resources that are sustainable over time yeah. you know, to integrate those parts of the body back in. But let me, let me ask you a question. So either hyper or hypo or, or both, not only I would imagine, obviously muscularly things occur, but I have to imagine there's effects on other organ systems as um, well. Yeah. Um, if we talk the arousal system, mm -hmm. that's a total reaction in the body. And that has a direct impact on the breathing, on your heart rhythm, um, on other physiological Mm -hmm. uh, aspects, temperature regulation, sweat regulation, all of that, right? When we talk muscles, we talk something that is, that's kind of a more distinct function in your body. It can cooperate with the arousal system, but it's also something on its own. So, did I answer that? Yeah. Okay, and, and okay. I think that is one of, when you start talking, about, asking me about method, mm -hmm. that is how I build up my methodology. It's by focusing on the muscle system. Because the muscle system is available. Uh, you, you, can, you can actually consciously contact that. Yeah. Where your arousal system is doing what it's doing. You can't discuss with that. You can't, it doesn't help to tell yourself not to get into high fear if you get into high fear. It yeah, does, but that's, you can talk to you, you can negotiate. It's closer to consciousness to work with, with the muscle system. And that's the same difference with, for me between muscles and organs. Okay. Of course, the patterns are also, also in, kind of present in organs, but they are further away from, from consciousness. Right. 
which is one reason I prefer to start with working from the muscle system because there we can actually access skills that then have an impact on these deeper levels. Right. So through, through um, uh, improving access to muscular resources, you can start regulating your nervous system because you do get safer if you get some energy back into areas in your muscle system that have been in hypo response. So you get more fullness, for example, in your center, in your boundaries, in your arms, in your hands, in your, if you get energy back into these areas, you, you are actually in a more resilient state and you are less threatened because you have more access to being able to do something yourself. So I would imagine as you build those capacities and you, and those skills and increase your resources that the survival intelligence, if we're going to do the vertical is like even further away. Yes. Okay. Yes, uh, it is. It is you? for you. And, and you, vertical. so, so what I do by doing this muscular skill training is I, I, I approach these high arousal states from underneath. Yeah. I build up the capacity yeah. in the body so that when we get up there and start getting contact to the trauma reactions, then it's less scary. And then we have, then we don't get re-traumatized. We don't get pulled back into the trauma. We have access to, I can walk away. I can say, stop. I can stay in my center and just look at it. I can, you can train up a lot of coping skills. Right. But, and I would also imagine too, that, that the, the survival, if we're just looking at it vertically, the survival intelligence is further, as we develop those skills and capacities yeah. and um, from the ground up, that the survival intelligence is further away from us. Um, and, because we have more resources. We don't necessarily touch it as uh, like, for instance, if I was working with you now and I develop okay. these resources and I, and between my person and I'll make this up as like a scale, but between personality and survival intelligence was 10 points and you, and I work with you and I develop these capacities. So yeah. now it's 50 points. Okay. So I have a lot more leeway I, I get your to operate in the world yeah. before the survival intelligence kicks in. Kicks in. But, okay. So, so what you're saying now really relates to this thing with, uh, if a stressful event triggers trauma reactions in a person or not. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a much talk, better way of I, saying I'm what really, I was trying to say. Okay. The more resilient you are, yeah. the more presence you have, the higher you can go on the arousal scale before you shift into survival intelligence. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Right? You can stay yeah. present and have more choice options yeah. before you go into instincts. Okay, good. So can you walk us through um, how you might work with someone in a hypo reaction yeah. state yeah. while recognizing that, you know, someone might be hypo and hyper, but we're just going to stick to the hypo. Yeah, because that's the most unusual. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to do it by, by giving a concrete example right now, cool. just to give people a flavor of what does this concept of low dosing, what does it actually mean practically? 
And if we talk, that, that needs to get our attention into the body right now. So, the, so that's what I'm inviting. It's to shift from only listening into also accessing what body sensations are there right now. How are we sitting on the chair? Can we find a way to sit that is uh, pretty much symmetrical? So both feet have access to the ground, both sitting bones have access to the chair. So we can kind of rest into the chair. Yeah, that's a, a very gentle way of inviting a little relaxation. Now, landing on the chair. Then, if I, for example, would support people in accessing their center. The center area, it's right on the front side of the fourth or fifth lumbar vertebrae. So it's deep inside your stomach. How do, we, how do we get that area? And one way is to put your right hand on the, the outside of your left knee. So there's kind of a cross movement, right? Yeah. Right hand on outside of left knee. And then you push knee into hand and hand gives resistance. You get that? This. Mm -hmm. When you do that, you, you rotate. There's a rotation happening in the lower vertebrae. Okay? And just try it with the other side also. I would imagine we're doing this very mindfully, so I want to feel what it's like inside myself while I'm doing yes. this. Okay. Yes. You try to catch that there's a rotation happening. There's an activation happening inside your stomach when you do it. Mm -hmm. It's a specific muscle that gets active. It's called the psoas muscle. Okay, so now we got um, a specific psychomotor activity, but we didn't invite dosing yet. And that's what I'm gonna do now. I'm gonna invite you to do the same thing with much less energy. So do the same movement, but you do it small. You can even be curious about how small can you do it mm -hmm. and still pick up on a sensory level that there is a tiny little activation inside your stomach. Mm -hmm. And please just do it on both sides. Okay. So also so that you, you may get, cur get a surprise that um, it will feel a little different on the two sides. Mm -hmm. One side may like a little uh, lower dosage than the other side. It's like that for me always. Uh, I'm not very symmetrical in my body. Um, and I benefit from really paying attention to what dosage actually makes me feel my center. And I am the kind of person, I have both patterns. I, I, have, a, I have some pretty strong muscles. And uh, I, so doing this movement with, with physical strength, I like that. Mm -hmm. It brings energy into kind of the feisty side of me. Right? And then there's this other part of me that when I do the tiny little dosage, suddenly I get present very deep inside in a way that I never access 
if I only do the feisty one. Mm -hmm. Good. And many, many people have both sides. Some people will not access their center unless they do it small. Okay. And some people will not be able to access the small if they haven't done the big one first. Okay. And this is, this is a way practically to impact how hyper and hypo responsive patterns uh, work together. Mm -hmm. If you have a lot of hyper response and then you have hyper response under it, okay. you need to get some relaxation, circulation, in the hyper first, okay. Which is what we had a chance to get by using strength first. But if we never choose the really low dose, or haven't ever learned that that exists, haven't ever discovered that that has an impact on us, we're not going to go there. So that's the first skill I train people in. It's to discover the potency of low, of dosing low. With many different uh, movements in the body, you can do them tiny, small, and suddenly you access part of you that you didn't even know you didn't access. Right? That's the tricky thing. Very often we don't know that parts of us have gone into giving up because we don't feel it. When you have a client doing these exercises, and I have to imagine there's yeah. dozens and dozens of different exercises because there's different body parts you're, you're working through and with. Do clients have uh, emotions that arise during these exercises, imagery that arises? Does it, yes. and even outside of the particular exercise time period, uh, are there um, things that emerge hours, yes. days later, even in dream states? Yes. And you'd say this parallels, if you work with tension and you get a release, typically you will get into emotions or you will, you will, there will be emotional material that becomes available. And there's exactly the same process. It just goes the other way. Mm -hmm. When you bring energy into an area that has been distant or that has been given up and if you do it in a dosage where you can actually stay with it okay. then this process starts then material can start coming back it's typically a little slower than when you release tension which for me is logical because it's like uh it's not with tension you have some content lying underneath but it's controlled and held back. So as soon as you release it, then this energy is there. That's not the case with hypo response. With hypo response, it's like you need, something needs to gather again. Something needs to get into a container so you can start discovering it again. And that can take a while. So people are typically slower in finding words for it. So you may have a sequence of, like for me, every time I do that tiny little cross movement, it touches me. Because it touches 
an area in me that I can forget. I know I can lose it. I have worked on regaining it for years. So I don't lose it the same way I did earlier, but there's still this touching experience of in some ways getting home to myself when I do it. So with that said, then this is like almost like what I hear you saying, at least a a lifelong process. You can do some work for a certain period of time, get some general capacity building and the resources, but it's really, you need to continually do it over time to keep them and grow them. Is that accurate? Yeah, it is. It's accurate. There's, it's a, there's a slowness to it, Mm -hmm. but there's also when you, when you have uh, gotten in contact with when the giving up happened, why you did it, what it solved for you, when, when you, when you gain that information, then there is a shift. Mm -hmm. Then you don't lose it as badly as you did earlier. Okay. Right? Because you, you literally, you, you separate from the past. As long as you are in the given up state, you're, you're merged with the past. Okay. It's the past isn't separated out. You're still in the reaction you originally went into to manage whatever it was you were in. Okay. So the process of gaining the information matters. I, I, I often see it in steps that if you, if you um, really doze precisely, you have a chance of gaining a resource first before the old material comes up. Okay. And I do find that very resourcing because when, if people can get this experience that, oh my God, my center, I, I am actually here, you know, or, oh, Gosh, I can I can suddenly feel my arms. I, I would imagine that's so important to gain some resources before the trauma reemerges. Exactly. Because if not, you're just going to re-traumatize yourself and probably make exactly. it even worse than it yeah. was. Okay. So I go for dosing, dosing uh, in a way where you gain resources. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Can I give you some examples from, I, I had a process with a group of 50 people yesterday. Please. Uh, dealing with this uh, here and now stress situation we're all in mm-hmm. with, the, with the coronavirus and all that impact. And what I walked them through was exactly to track where they, where they go hypo in this situation and very gently start bringing energy back into those areas and then see what emerged. That's, that's a main thing of what we did. And some people got energy back into their hands. The hands got very, very warm. Felt good. That's, that's the information that came. Nothing more. Right? Mm-hmm. A lot of warmth and it felt good. Other people got energy back in their feet and really felt how they, they got back. They, they, they reestablished grounding. Yep. And with that came out of being, being chaotic. Uh, what else happened? Uh, 
quite a number of people gained, regained access to their center, which suddenly meant that they could get naturally tired. Mm. Instead of hanging up in high stress and then mm -hmm. when they try to relax, then they, they collapse instead. Because yeah. if you, if you want to come into natural tiredness, you need to be there. Yeah. You need to have a container both in yourself and in contact. Yeah. Right. Those are examples. Th those are great. So you, you uh, pointed out that you did a training. So how can people learn more about your work, uh, your trainings, anything you've yeah. written and uh, working with you one-on-one so, -on -one if you do that? How does that take place? Yeah. It's a... Uh, this is, this is kind of a funny situation because I have worked with this for many years and now I am cutting down. So okay. I'm doing less. Uh-oh. Okay. Yeah. But people, what I am doing, I'm, I have done some podcasts that about this low energy work that could be very useful resources. Good. You can go to SoundCloud and then just put in my, my last name. Okay. I'll make Brand sure to have it, include that in the show notes too. Yeah. Good. Um, because they are, for, for therapists, that, that would be a kind of a substantial input about this low energy work. Yeah. I'm also going to be part of the, the embodiment conference online in October. Okay, excellent. So people could go there and uh, participant, participate in the session with me. Who's putting that on? Well, it's called the Embodiment Conference. I'll make sure that's included I, in the show notes. Cool. I don't have a yeah, name. Yeah. Uh, we'll look I, it up I for you. I was just asked if I would join it. Cool. For the same reason, in a way, that, that uh, you contacted me. It's like the, there is a growing interest for this missing link, yeah. which is this understanding of, of uh, the low energy aspects, yeah. the hypo states. And I also know you've written too. I'll, I'll include some links to some of your writings. Yes. And yes. I've seen some uh, videos of you on YouTube. I'll include some of those as well. Well, Moretta, this has been fantastic. I, I, I'm a real big fan of your work. I think it's so, so important. Uh, as we started at the very beginning of this conversation, there, there's holes. In the field of psychology anyway, the body's not included, which is horrible. But just in, in somatic psychology, this piece needs to be fleshed out, what you've done. So it's really important that all somatic psychologists and psychotherapists understand the hypo response. As you said, it's a missing piece. And thank you so much for all your work. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing you on that conference in October, online, yeah. of course. Great. And uh, thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Great. Good, to, good to talk to you. Have a great rest of your day. The same to you. Bye-bye. Right.